listen to RTI programs. You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two, which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three, out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four, what are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Well, welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. And my guest today in the studio is James Hu, H-U, Hu, uh, founder and CEO of JobScan, which is J-O-B-S-C-A-N. So you can tell it has to do with jobs, mm-hmm. <laughs> looking for jobs. Anyway, let's welcome James first. Hi, James. Hi, Shirley and everyone. Right. Do you usually go with James or Jim or whatever? Oh, James. James. Okay, yeah. <laughs> great. So, um, yeah, I think you need to start right off explain what is JobScan. Yeah. So JobScan is a web service. Uh, it's a website, basically, uh, that helps people optimize their resumes to get more interviews. So we use a little bit of AI and and a little bit of intelligence to figure out what you need to change on your resume in order to get found by recruiters. Oh, okay. Um, you know, when I heard about this, I was thinking, well, every now and then I would get like these emails from LinkedIn and I don't use it often, by the way. But um, one time when I was thinking about maybe changing my job, like leave this radio station, mm-hmm. I saw that I was going, wait a minute, do they even know how old I am? Do they even know what I've, you know, what my background is? Why are they telling me that, you know, there's a job opening for you? And then I was told because they use big data. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a play on some of the keywords, right? Yes. So how are you different from LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah, so LinkedIn is more of a social network. So think of LinkedIn as Facebook, right? And we're different in that we are a tool that helps you stand out on LinkedIn okay. or helps you stand out. Oh, stand out on LinkedIn, yeah. okay. So so like you mentioned earlier, right? Let's, it's, you're, on, you're on point where... A lot of websites that need to do optimizations on their websites to, in order to rank in Google, right? It's called search engine optimization, right? SEO. So you have to do all these things to optimize your website to, to get found, right? To yeah. rank, rank on top. Same thing for resumes. You need to do certain optimizations and change and add keywords and add specific skill sets. And to be able to rank higher when recruiters conduct a search. So, for example, even in, on LinkedIn, recruiters use LinkedIn a lot. If you talk, especially international companies, yeah, and all majority, ninety percent to one hundred percent of them go on LinkedIn to find talent, mm-hmm. especially in the U.S., right? And they what they do is they search for keywords, 
right? They would search for keywords to find talent. And if you don't have those keywords on your profile or your resume, then you're not found. You, know, you, don't, you don't show up. Really? Just like that? Yeah. So it's very much like Googling, right? They're Googling for people and you need to have the right things that they're searching for. Right. So I just realized that let's say there's a job opening from a certain company and 2,000 people applied. Mm -hmm. They're not going to look through each 2,000 applications. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. It just made a <laughs> revelation here. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. I thought they would really nicely look through 2,000 and pick out the ones they wanted. Some will, actually. Some recruiters actually spend the time and look through each resume. And a lot of recruiters, some recruiters will tell you that they will actually look through resumes. But some some won't, right? Especially big companies, popular places, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. They get <laughs> hundreds, hundreds not thousands, thousands of applications. Okay, so I get it now. Yeah. That's where job scan comes in. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. And even even if they don't use a system to do a search, you still need to optimize. You still need to tailor your resume because even from a recruiter, from a human perspective, they're still looking for keywords, right? You're looking for you're hiring, you're hiring someone, you're scanning for their relevant companies, you're scanning for the relevant skill sets and experiences. So that still matters to a human eyes. What do you know about recruiters? What are, what do they usually look for? And how does job scan work? I mean, what's the first step, the second step, and the third step? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to go about it. Because, I mean, I'm, of course, I've written re resumes for myself. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've, of, co of course, studied, you know, certain formats on Google or whatever. Um, well, this goes way back, you know, mm -hmm. the last time I had, you know, looked for a job. Um, and I have my own style of, you know, uh, of writing my CV, um, this like goes way back, and you know, highlighting. I'm sure that resume writing is a lot better than back in those days, where you just highlight certain, you know, like maybe the job title or whatever, um, past jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, are you saying that in order for me to be noticed when I apply for a new job, I've got to change my way of writing the resume, which is not not what I'm comfortable with. I've got to do something. That's like not me. Well, not necessarily. So, so you have the main version of your resume, right? You have okay. the master version. Oh, I can keep that. Right. And, and you just need to tailor small bits and pieces within that resume to make sure you're saying the right keywords. Oh, so yeah, we are talking about keywords. Yeah. So you need to tailor your resume for every job you're applying to. You shouldn't be using the same resume applying to 10 jobs. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you can, but you're less likely to be found because you won't come across as relevant unless your re your resume is very relevant to all of these jobs. Oh, okay. When I was applying to jobs, I was tailoring every single one of them before I would send them out by hand. Yeah. Right, manually. Uh -huh. So I would read through the job descriptions and say, okay, you know, th sometimes they have the requirement required section, right? We require 10 years experience from... You know, on digital marketing and paid ads, for example. So right. I would put, you know, paid ads, digital marketing into my resume if I don't have it, right? So I would tailor that for every job I'm applying to. Mm -hmm. And then and I realized, why isn't there a tool that does this for me automatically, right? And that's when I thought, hey, I can build something like that that compares my resume against a, the job description and tell me what's missing and what's matching wow. in terms of the keywords. You you wrote a program, right? A software, yeah. Is it yeah? It's a website. It's the website. Yes. 
It, it's a website. Yes. You, you can tell. It's, I'm it's, not a computer science. It's similar. It's similar. Just background. To, okay. Yeah. So it would do that for you. And then sort of like a Word file where it picks out the mistakes mm-hmm. and you decide to correct it or not. Is it the same kind of Yeah. Idea? So imagine, imagine the website. There's two text boxes. You paste in a resume. You paste in your resume into one box. And you paste in the job description of your choice into the second box. Oh. And then you click scan. And that's it. Then we do the magic. And we tell you what hard skills are missing, what soft skills are missing or matching, whether your job titles match, whether your education level match, whether your job level match, uh-huh. and whether you have enough mentions of measurable results. So we tell you all these things and we tell you whether your resume formatting looks good. So we'll give you all these feedback. Wow. Just from copy and pasting or just upload your resume. Okay. It takes takes two seconds. Yeah. Sounds like AI. It is AI. Uh, part of it, yes. So then um, it helps you change your resume to, to a more desirable format? or Not yet. Not- uh, actually, part of it does. So we actually will automatically adjust your formatting a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, we give you a report. So majority of it, you still do it yourself. But in the future, we're working on automatically replacing certain things for you, save you more time maybe even write the resume for you yeah maybe <laughs> so the vision right like our ultimate vision is is you know job searching is very painful right it's, it's it's emotional you know you don't hear back you you spend so much time applying and then you don't hear back and it's very demotivating for a lot of people mm. and you know i've gone through it many times myself and i don't <laughs> enjoy it right i don't think anybody does but you know i did it for fun i did it for you know i I definitely got a good hang of it in the past. And, you know, our goal ultimately is that we become the the Alexa. I'm sure your audience probably knows about Alexa, the, you know, the the, the voice-enabled AI that gives you, that helps you out with your life, basically, and on, mm. from Amazon, right? And anyway, we, we the ideal world is that we, when you look for a job, you give us your resume. We will look for the right jobs for you. We'll update it for you. We'll tailor it for you. And we'll apply for you. And all you got to do is sit back, watch Netflix, and wait for phone calls. <laughs> no, you're talking about the future. Yeah, job the future. Scan. Yes, that's our <laughs> ultimate vision. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> you're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Now I'm just wondering, were you having a lot of frustration looking for jobs? That's why you came up with JobScan? Yeah, yes. I mean, after my first company didn't work out, I was job searching and I was right, applying. Right, you started a company, yeah. I was applying to all the big big names, you, you name it, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, uh, some startups, even Uber and Lyft and all these companies. And, you know, I've had my sheer number of rejections. And, of course, I tried to find the best job I could find. And, and I was definitely spending more than full-time hours on job searching. This was right after graduation. Uh, well, I mean, I've had a couple of uh, misfortunes, I guess. I, I was, I was, I, when I graduated, I got into Microsoft. I was, you know, very proud of myself. Best yeah. job ever yeah. for my, you know, at that time. But I got laid off during the financial crisis in 2010. Oh, okay. after 2008, right? 
Yeah. And so that was because my... I thought you were going to say 2008, but you said 2010. But yeah, there's, okay. a, there's a delay of some companies yeah. laying off, right? <laughs> so Microsoft laid Got off it. like 5,000 people at that time, and I was one of them. Oh. And I was like, you know, I was back on the job search market. Yeah. And so that was my you know, first misfortune. Mm. And then the second one was my my second company. Well, my first company, first company failed. Company. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about your first company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in the States at the time in Seattle and my, I was finishing up my contract at Microsoft and, mm. and my, one of my, the smartest friends I knew at the time, he said, Hey, I realized there's a pollution and traffic problem in China. I think we can do something about it. Ah. <laughs> it sounds like a very big problem to yeah. solve. Yeah. And the idea was to to share cars, right? There's so many cars out there. Why are people but driving it? You know, like there's cars sitting idle. Why don't why can't people just rent idle cars? That was the more technical guy. He was a finance guy. So I built a prototype um, from just Googling online and built a basic website out of it. And then my other friend at the time said, hey, uh, Groupon China needs a product person to lead the product team and was asked me if I was interested. So two of the smartest friends I knew at the time wanted me to go to, to, go to China and go to Beijing. And I said, okay, let's go. <laughs> so, so the three of you went? Uh, no, I went to Groupon first to join Groupon Beijing first. But, oh, okay. this, but part-time, I was still w- working with my other friend on my company. Right. Off hours and okay. nights and weekends. So oh. then I quit, you know, six months later, I quit Groupon and I was working on my company full time. Yeah. So that that company uh, eventually became uh, more of a carpooling app. Yeah. Kind of similar to Uber Pool or Didi. I yeah. mean, you can get a car In if China. you wanted to go somewhere. Yes. The only difference is carpooling. You had to have somebody else go in the same direction at the same time. Right. So that was a kind of a problem. That's why it didn't work out. We oh, should have we should have went after taxis <laughs> in oh, the beginning. How how long did it survive though? The company? Uh, two years. Two years. Hey, two years is not bad. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, yeah. from then on, mm-hmm. you decide you're just gonna be an entrepreneur. Yeah. So it didn't work out. You know, it was it was pretty rough towards the end, and I came back to Taiwan, took a break for three months. Of course, my dad said. My parents were like, "Stop messing around in China. Go back to Seattle. Go 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 find a job at Amazon. You know they're 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 growing. So <laughs> go get a stable job." But I was like, "No, I I've met so many people in in Beijing already. I can find designers, engineers, investors. I can find anybody, and I, I could build a team up pretty fast." So I went back to Beijing and tried to figure out what to do next. And uh-huh. I still wanted to start something. Yeah. At one point, I thought about building apps for cars. So I actually had a meeting. You like cars. <laughs> yeah, we were in the, the kind of the car industry at the time, car technology at yeah. the time. So I actually had a meeting with, you know, the some, someone higher up in the, the General Motors uh-huh. um, and even a Volkswagen mm. and Car2Go. But, you know, nothing came to fruition. And I started learning how to code, learning how to build an iPhone app, and then had an idea to do different. I had different ideas, I had a lot of ideas, and then I started job searching at the same time too. And that's yeah. when I, when the idea of job scan came along. Uh-huh. So that I was like, if I'm gonna find a job, I want to showcase that I can build something because in tech, if you can't code, you're kind of disadvantaged a little bit. 
Yeah. Especially, I wanted to be a PM, a product manager. If right. A product manager, usually mm. big tech companies or Silicon Valley companies, they want you to have a computer science degree. Yeah. Which I don't have. You don't have. I'm a, I'm a business major. Yeah. And so I felt like I needed to prove myself to to build something, and so I did. So I the job scan was a project that I wanted to build. Okay, with a business major, how did he learn coding? We're going to find out together next week. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. Classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today we hear three poems from the late Tang Dynasty poet Li Sangying, who was known as a romantic poet. He often wrote love poems to unnamed women. And many of them have been collected in the classic 300 Tang Poems anthology. The first one we look at today is called Spring Rain. I'm lying in a white lined coat while the spring approaches, but I'm thinking only of the white gate city where I cannot be. There are two red chambers fronting the cold, hidden by the rain, and a lantern on a pearl screen swaying my lone heart homeward. The long road ahead will be full of new hardship. With late in the nights, brief intervals of dream. Oh, to send you this message, this pair of jade earrings. I watch a lonely wild goose in 3,000 miles of cloud. This poem is the fourth in a series called To One Unnamed. A faint phoenix tail gauze, fragrant and doubled, lines your green canopy, closed for the night. Will your shy face peer round a moon-shaped fan? And your voice be heard, hushing the rattle of my carriage. It is quiet and quiet, 
How far can a pomegranate blossom whisper? I will tether my horse to a river willow and wait for the will of the southwest wind. And this is to one unnamed. Number five. There are many curtains in your carefree house where rapture lasts the whole night long. What are the lives of angels but dreams if they take no lovers into their rooms? Storms are ravishing the nut horns. Moondew sweetening cinnamon leaves. I know well enough naught can come of this union, yet how it serves to ease my heart. Li Sang-ing is a late Tang Dynasty poet renowned for his poems written to unnamed women. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one, what platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two, which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three, out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four, what are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience one at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. 
The Lunar New Year holiday is just around the corner. It's an important time for families to gather together and share a New Year's Eve meal. You may think that COVID-19 is putting a damper on these activities, but hotel restaurants say that business is booming. Braised pork belly, abalone, and chicken soup. These are just some of the dishes that people will eat this year on Lunar New Year's Eve in Taiwan. While some people will return to Taiwan for the holidays, almost no one is going overseas because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you're planning to have your banquet at a restaurant, it could be hard to get a reservation. Many hotel restaurants were already fully booked by December of last year, earlier than in previous years. Some restaurants say business is 20 to 30 percent better this year than it was last year, and more people are reserving private rooms in light of the pandemic. Another popular choice: Japanese dinners. That's because diners are served their own set meal rather than digging into communal plates with their chopsticks. If you haven't made a reservation yet, you better hurry. Otherwise, you might have to order takeout. Shirley Lin, RTI News. As COVID-19 continues to rage abroad, life in Taiwan is continuing much like it always has. Some events are still on as scheduled, including a massive exhibition of goodies on sale in the run-up to the Lunar New Year. Visitors even get to sample the goodies, but this doesn't mean preventative measures aren't in place. The Lunar New Year is less than a month away, and Taipei is set to hold its biggest ever expo of New Year goods at the Taipei World Trade Center. The event will feature all sorts of local delicacies from around Taiwan. These can be sampled or bought directly. There will also be souvenirs, candies, and pastries for people to bring home for what is the biggest holiday of the year in Taiwan. People can even choose to make things easy on themselves by ordering entire pre-cooked New Year's Eve dinner sets offered at the fair. The biggest attraction this year is probably huge wild abalones from Australia that took 20 years to grow. Abalone is a traditional New Year delicacy. The organizers have arranged a safe, cordoned-off area for sampling foods from different booths. They want to remind visitors that they should bring food to this special area before removing their masks and tucking in. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Molly roe is a traditional delicacy eaten on special occasions in Taiwan. It's a rare treat, so when people get it, they want an immaculate product. Even if a piece of molly roe isn't made perfectly pretty, sellers have their way of making them look good enough for even the most extravagant banquet. Mullet roll, fresh off the grill, is a delectable treat enjoyed around holidays and on special occasions in Taiwan. When looking to purchase the delicacy, people want the best, regardless of what your grandmother, who loves you unconditionally, tells you. Here, looks matter. Not all mullet roll are made equal because a lot can happen during the production process. Things that should stick together don't. Stuff that should be in place falls out of place. Unfortunately, when it comes to mullet row, anything that looks less than perfect will fetch an imperfect price. But years of experience have taught mullet row producers how to give their product a facelift. A little scrape here, a little buffer there, and this mullet row is as good as the rest. Got a little bile in your row? No problem. Mullet row producers have seen and dealt with all kinds of mullet row woes. 
Once imperfections are taken out of the product, the mullet row is left out to dry. Once they're ready for market, you can't even tell which ones needed a little nip and tuck. Leslie Liao, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. A documentary about Taiwanese people's relentless pursuit of freedom over the past century has premiered. A new film about Taiwan's quest for freedom during Japanese rule and the subsequent one-party rule of the KMT came out on Tuesday. It was produced by the Public Television Service. The film looks at four distinguished historical figures. One is writer Lai He, the father of Taiwanese literature, was a literary giant during the Japanese colonial era. Lai's works are mostly about repression under the Japanese occupation. Another episode focuses on the life of philosopher and college professor Ying Haiguang, a leading advocate of liberalism. Ying was persecuted by the KMT government because of his forthright views. The film's director, Fu Changshen, says he hopes the film will show Taiwan's people how deeply ingrained their free spirit is. Taiwan has had a television broadcast for close to 60 years, but only one station has managed to keep its old programs, filming equipment, and other paraphernalia intact in its archives. Now, this TV station's collection of artifacts from the airwaves of yesteryear has been condensed into a single book, preserving Taiwanese TV history for posterity. Taiwan's first TV broadcast was in 1962, but the station behind this broadcast has since sold off much of the accumulated film, cameras, and other artifacts it had gathered over the decades that followed. Another of Taiwan's oldest stations lost a significant part of its archives to Typhoon Nari in 2001. Of Taiwan's original TV stations, only CTS has managed to keep its collection of film, antique equipment, records, and costumes for period dramas together in an archive. After a three-year project to assess the collection, led by Tainan National University of the Arts on behalf of the Culture Ministry, highlights from the collection have been gathered together into a book. The book includes interviews with station veterans that illuminate Taiwanese TV history, as well as the preservation and restoration of so many artifacts. John Van Trieste, RTI News. A photo exhibit featuring the Greater Taipei area from the 1960s to 1980s is underway at Furen University. An exhibit called Old Photographs of Taipei kick off Monday at Furen University. It features 26 historical photos collected by the National Museum of History. On display are photos of religious processions, people washing clothes in the river, a Taiwanese opera actress breastfeeding her baby, among other subjects. Furian University President Zhang Hanshen said the exhibit enables students and teachers to see what Taiwan was like from the 60s to the 80s. Jiang said it's great to be able to revisit that period in history and the places where people grew up. Photos of rice paddies and farmers allowed the public to have a glimpse at Taiwan's past agricultural society. 
And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one, what platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two, which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three, out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four, what are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience one at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. I think next year we'll have more students coming into Taiwan from South Africa to study because of where a lot of them that have shown an interest. And one other thing that we did is that we also took it upon ourselves as the office to um, meet with the universities themselves to get the information from the universities. Hello and welcome to this week's On The Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Ms. Sibongile Mabasa, Deputy Representative of Liaison Office of South Africa, said she's been helping South African students to apply for Taiwanese scholarships. She's been interviewed by local radio stations in South Africa to help South African students better understand the details of the scholarship, adding that after the interviews in local languages, they start to receive a lot of inquiries via emails. So you won't believe, after those interviews, we got a lot and lots of emails. And you could see that this is what the, the student in South Africa did not have, the information. Uh, they are interested, but they did not know where to start. The only thing that they were looking at was locally, and which is a challenge even locally. So when we did those interviews, we got a lot of response, people showing interest. So we kept on exchanging um, emails with them, asking questions. Of course, there will be a lot of questions to get clarity. Uh, some of the questions will be about Taiwan and, and, and South Africa, their relations, if they come here, for how long. So we will clarify that those questions for them to be at ease. But now the challenge, which is we all facing, was the pandemic. Yeah. In South Africa, there was a lockdown for almost um, three months, I think. And that's the time where in Taiwan, it's the, the application process is taking place. And some of the kids, because they've come from rural areas where they don't have access to Wi-Fi or internet, they have to go to an internet cafe to get access. So they could not go to those internet cafes because it was a lockdown, not 
they were not allowed to move around from their home state. So they missed out on the deadline for the application in universities. So that was also a hindrance. And we tried to take up this issue with the Minister of Foreign Affairs, who tried to assist, but most of the universities were said, no, we have closed for enrollment of 2020. They would rather, they will consider them for 2021. So it was fair enough. Um, so now we are preparing them for 2021, because of course some of the students were doing things quickly because of they wanted to get into the 2020 financial year and they were missing some of the information and documents. So now they have at least enough time to prepare all their required documents so that they can be submitted in time to universities. But this is a work in progress and I think next year we'll have more students coming into Taiwan from South Africa uh, to, to study because of we have a lot of them that have shown uh, uh, interest and most of them meet the requirements according to their universities. And one other thing that we did is that we also took it upon ourselves as the office to uh, meet with the universities themselves, to get the information from the universities in terms of their enrollment processes, the requirements and what faculties they have and do they offer scholarships. Some universities do offer scholarships, some they don't offer scholarships. So meaning if the student wants to study in that university, they will have to get either the Minister of Foreign Affairs or Minister of Education scholarship to be able to get into university, which is still okay. So at least we are able to um, understand that with these eight universities that we have seen, about five can offer scholarship and then about three they don't. So the student can still benefit from the government scholarship. So at least now we have the overall information that uh, we are feeding out to our people in, in, in South Africa and hoping that as they promise that they want to study, next year we'll have a lot of them. So you had to travel to um, different universities in Taiwan to talk yes. to um, all the deans and the principals. Mm. We traveled to Pintong. We met with the dean and the president of the National Pintong University of Science and Technology, which focuses on agriculture. And then we also went to Kaohsiung, met with the National Kaohsiung University of Science and Technology, which we have about two or three students there. And um, the Mingdao University, which is in the central part of Taiwan. And then most of the universities is the Taiwan Medical University, which is here in Taipei. The Tsichi um, Foundation in Hualien, mm -hmm. uh, we met with the president there and they also offer the scholarships. Um, so those are the, the universities that we, we have met uh, with. It's about eight universities. I can't remember the other names of the, oh. <laughs> the universities. But those are the universities that we have so far met with the deans of international affairs and the, and, and the president of the, the universities. So at least we have some, um, um, let me say, an, an, an understanding, a memorandum of understanding with them in terms of uh, the scholarship and the enrollment of our students into their universities. You know, meeting with yeah. teens and presidents of all these universities, that keeps you very busy already. Yes. <laughs> Especially when they're in different parts of Taiwan, because yes. it was not yeah. only in Taipei, mm -hmm. we had to go down south and the eastern part of, of, of Taiwan. So it was not easy, but we really wanted to help our, our, our students back home, because we have a lot of students who have passed uh, their high school, but they can't pursue further their studies because of they don't have financial muscles to do that. So if the government of Taiwan says, here we are, 
we can assist why not so because of it's one of the reasons we are here mm -hmm. to help our south african people to grab the opportunities that are offered by our host government you mentioned earlier we went to visit uh, the science and technology the agriculture and the medical schools so what programs are available to all these students they they have various programs of course like national painting uh, University of Science and Technology, their focus is on agriculture. So even their campus, you can see it's in the middle of Bundu. <laughs> so um, um, they have other schools as well, but their main focus is, is on agriculture and business management. So, um, and then uh, the um, Taipei Medical University, of course, it's all about uh, medical studies. And the Tsichi Foundation is also about medical, mm -hmm. but they have your... Um, business management and your um what out your engineering uh, uh, as well oh we also visited the sanyetsen university in kaohsiung which focuses on marine resources biologists and all that so it, it's different field even though they have other schools in them but each and every university will say our main focus is this area but we still have other as schools as well where your students can look at. So with the Sanitsen is your marine biology and engineering as well, but they still have other your psychology um, uh, departments and your education department if students are interested to 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 enroll in those uh, schools. So each and every university will have um, at least four or five different schools, but they will have one or two main schools that is there that will be their main focus so at least with all the universities that we have looked at we know that it covers mostly of what would be our interest for our south african students so it they, at least they have a, a variety of choices to choose from and most of these universities teaches in english even though they still offer one year course mandarin which is compulsory because you still you still need to to be able to communicate in Chinese Mandarin. So all universities have the language institute where you are required to undergo a one-year training on Chinese Mandarin, and the second year you start now with doing your, your, your courses. In so English? In, in, in English, yes. I, I mean, the, 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 the Chinese is to prepare them because some of the, le uh, the lectures, even if they teach in English, they will be inter-switching. English and, and Chinese, so it helps the students not to get lost in the in the in the lecture room. They can still uh, follow if the lecture switch from English to 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 Chinese, which I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it was a good thing that they did it that way. Or else most of the students were going to get lost when now the lecturer switches from yeah. English into into uh, Chinese. Yeah. This is Radio Taiwan International. But uh, would you also say that language is a barrier as well? Yes, language um, is it's a barrier. Like I said, that um, the, the the culture in Asia and Africa is totally different. Like um, um, the language itself, um, the culture itself, and the interaction, the infrastructure, everything is totally uh, different. So for a person to be able to adapt in a situation the basic things that you need to know and understand is the language and the culture of that country because of you don't want to upset people in their own territory. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for you to be accepted as well, you, you also need to, to be able to be receptive to their own uh, surroundings and their environment and so that they, you can be 
uh, welcomed in, in very warm uh, hands. So as much as it's a barrier, but uh, what we find it uh, more interesting is that these universities, they, they're trying to bridge that gap by saying, we will provide you with the language mm. so that you are able to engage and feel at home when you are in Taiwan or while you are studying in, in Taiwan because the distance between Taiwan and South Africa is very long. <laughs> so if you are homesick, when will you get to South Africa? So that language barrier, at least it will make you uh, be welcomed in Taiwan and you will feel at home. So you won't have that much of a homesick syndrome because you will have people that you will call yourself a family and that culture and the language closes that uh, the barrier. Mm -hmm. How many South African students are currently studying in Taiwan? Actually, we don't have many as compared to other countries like your Eswatini and, and Burkina Faso. We have about, for now, less than 20 students. Some of them now have graduated, have gone home. Some have, are now staying in Taiwan working. They decided to um, um, not go back home, but uh, continue staying in Taiwan and, and working. So currently we have about less than 20 um, uh, students that are studying full-time. And we also have the students that come and go, that come to do Mandarin for three months, go or for six months, because the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, through their language institute, they um, offer those uh, short courses for Mandarin, which is very intense for that three months. When they go back, at least they are able to communicate. Mm. So it's either you take a three months course, six months course, or a year course through Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So not only the universities offers the language training, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs also assists in, you know, inviting um, people from various countries to come and, and study Mandarin for whichever months you prepare you prefer to 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 enroll in. Mm -hmm. What about for Taiwanese to go to South Africa, how many Taiwanese do you encourage them to go to South Africa to pursue higher education as well? Actually, they are very less. Taiwanese prefer to go to the U.S. than yes. in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so the Taiwanese that you find them studying in South Africa will be the ones that have migrated with their parents, either for work or for business purposes. And they study there, and when they finish, or either maybe when their parents come back, then they decide to stay in and, 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 and further studies. But with regards to the students that um, initially have their own interest to study in South Africa, the number is very minimum. Um, in a year, we can get about less than 50 applications of uh, the study visa. For, for, for the Taiwanese students that are interested to go in South Africa. So it's not that much because even when we, we speak to them, because uh, in 2018, we did a South African week at the Chile University. So in one of the days, we were focusing on the universities in South Africa, promoting our universities and what they offer and encouraging them to go to uh, South Africa to study. But you could hear that most of their questions were coming. They were asking us questions about America as if we were uh, <laughs> uh, representing the U.S. So most of their interest was not uh, necessarily into Africa. It was only a few students that uh, did their research before the presentation about South Africa, and they will ask questions based on the presentation again. So you will see that, okay, these are interested in studying in Africa. But most of the students, so their focus was in, in another continent. Mm -hmm. But we, we don't despair. We continue 
um, encouraging the Taiwanese students to consider studying in, in South Africa because we have good universities and one of the best universities yeah. in the world. And also, in a way, they can also learn, you know, not only to pursue higher education, but also to learn the local culture. Culture is yes, very important. It's very important, yeah. yeah. At least to move away from their own culture that they grew up yes, in. So that the comfort they, zone. The comfort zone. And then they go out to experience other people's mm -hmm. cultures, how people live, how people interact, and how people conduct their business on a daily basis, so that you can see that there are differences out there, but it's still livable. And that was Ms. Sibongile Mabasa, Deputy Representative of Liaison Office of South Africa. And that's it for this week's online brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Take goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.